Hello. Welcome to the Infusion Nurses Society podcast entitled, What I Wish You Knew About Me, Nursing the Older Adult, Part 1. Today's guest, Dr. Suzanne Purvis, has been a geriatric clinical nurse specialist for 20 years. She obtained her Master's of Science in Nursing degree and a Master's Certificate in Gerontology from Georgia State University and her Doctor of Nursing Practice from the University of Minnesota. Suzanne is published in the areas of geriatric nursing competency development, use of the electronic health record in geriatrics, and dementia care education. She is currently a clinical nurse specialist for Beaumont Health in Royal Oak, Michigan. Suzanne, thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with us today. I want to get started by asking you to share with our listeners some of the population statistics on aging Americans. Certainly. Um, I think most Americans, uh, you know, are aware of the large numbers that we're facing going forward of older individuals that are going to need health care. Part of this is the baby boomers. There are 76 million baby boomers. Currently, they're between the ages of 54 and 72. Wow. According to the Pew Research Center, 10,000 baby boomers reach age 65 every day. Amazing. How about the number of individuals that are greater than 65 years of age right now? Right now, um, in 2015, over 47 million U.S. citizens were 65 and older. That's currently 15% of the population as an interest factor here as far as comparing. In 1960, only 9% of the population was over age 65. Wow, okay. So what is the impact? Uh, the biggest impact is going to be in the oldest old group. So and typically in geriatrics now what we do is we break those that age group now into three groups. I know we tend to think of 65 and older in the past, but there's just two, that's too big of a group to look at, and their needs are different. Usually in geriatrics we'll break it down to 65 to 74, 75 to 84, and age 85 and above. And what's the usefulness in breaking that down into those three categories of ages? The age group that is um, of any age group at all um, that's growing the fastest is age 85 and above. Okay. And, of course, that's where the most frail elderly are. And by breaking it down, you can focus on their needs, which are going to be different than somebody who's typically a typical um, person who's, less than 75, say. Sure, sure. Okay. How about some longevity statistics? Do you have anything on that? Yes. Um, the average U.S. life expectancy has increased. In 1950, it was only 68 years, and in 2013, it was 79 years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've done a lot of increase there. What does this mean from a public health perspective? And that's important to realize is what a success story that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have to be careful about some of the headlines in the news. I have a little mixed feeling sometimes when I see these headlines and it says silver tsunami. Um, because I think on the one hand we're trying to um, impress on people, our communities, healthcare, that the needs of older people need to be addressed. And we want to get their attention. But a tsunami is a negative thing. Sure, sure, I get that. I mean, and so I I worry with 
our aging stereotypes anyway when we use those kind of terms. Um, it is a health um, success story that so many people are now going to be older. I tell younger people that, think about it, a third of your lifetime is going to be over the age of 65, wow. most likely. Wow, okay. So there used to be a gap between genders in how long people lived. Is that, does that still exist? Uh, there is still a gender gap as far as life expectancy, but it's narrowing. In 1990, the gap between men and women was seven years. So women lived typically, the average woman, um, seven years longer than a male, and now that gap is less than five years. How how does our longevity statistics in the United States rank compared to other countries? And here's where you have to be careful when you're looking at numbers. So we have more people living longer as we've treated things like heart disease and stroke and cancer. Um, but as the United States is still lagging behind as far as how long we live, lengthening life itself on that end. Um, out of 34 countries, we're only number 27. Wow, okay, good to know. So older, def older adults are definitely a population group that's presenting a growing need in healthcare settings. So let's go ahead today and let's focus on providing care for older adults. Certainly. My first question for you is about infusion nurses. Infusion nurses want to ensure that the care that they provide meets the needs of special populations. What are some of the clinical differences in providing care for older adults versus younger adults or even middle-aged adults? The first thing that comes to mind has to do with chronic conditions. So the average person over age 65 has two chronic conditions. Oh. Um, young people can have them too, but with an older person who has aging changes and their chronic condition, um, this um, has to be considered any time you're treating an acute condition. Because what can happen is you're treating the acute condition and then their chronic condition flares up. And that happens in hospitals why a lot of older people, when they end up in the hospital for acute conditions, sometimes we can't discharge them. The chronic condition becomes a problem, too. Do do all people, I know this is probably a silly question, but does aging affect all people the same? No, and that's what makes treating older people very challenging. Providers often tell me this age group, and you know, if, unless you like a challenge, it can be difficult um, because aging does look so differently from person to person. And some people have more aging effects than other people. And within the same body, you could have your heart aging faster than your kidneys or your lungs. And we may not know that if you come in and you have acute condition. And so that um, raises a problem there. So, yes, aging looks really different from person to person. Okay. So some factors about aging, we could have decreased blood flow to the liver, um, decreased kidney mm -hmm. function, and and also less muscle mass and more fat. So it, it sounds like all of this is tricky when a patient presents because of those physiologic differences, correct? Correct. Okay. So how might those differences manifest themselves, and how could the infusion nurse be prepared to address them? So a lot of these body changes that happen with aging, um, they affect how medications are distributed and excreted. 
So you have to be really aware when you give medications um, that they may have these changes. For example, um, if they have decreased liver function and you're treating that, an infection with an antimicrobial um, that has to be excreted through the liver, um, it can cause a toxic reaction in that liver if they have those aging changes in the liver. Also with kidney function, about 70% of older people have decreased kidney function. So if the medication's eliminated through the kidneys, uh, that taking that medication can cause them to have an acute kidney injury. Other things? Other things like the um, less body water. This is a particularly um, important thing when I talk to nurses. I always say, if you don't remember everything I say, remember this. Because older people start out with less body water because they have less muscle and more fat. Most of your body water is in your cells. It's in your muscle cells. So people with more muscles have more body water than people who have more fat. And we're not talking about a fat person versus a thin person, just mm -hmm. anybody. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that less body water, and then you have a decrease in kidney function, and older adults can get prone to dehydrated really easily, and they recover very slowly. Also, medications that are soluble in water can get toxic real easily. For example, some of the antihypertensives are water-soluble drugs, so you have to really monitor for side effects. That's, that's really important to know because so many older adults are on antihypertensive medications, and we just wouldn't know that necessarily in, in managing a patient if we only see the patient occasionally or rarely. Um, exactly. What else happens with... Um, you mentioned water-soluble. What happens with fat-soluble medication? Now, with fat-soluble medications, um, you're going to have uh, more distribution of the drug, and that's why you can run into problems there. Because they have more fat, um, and so the drugs that are fat-soluble, say some of your older benzos, like um, Valium is one of them. Mm. Uh, Valium is a very... Um, has bad side effects in older adults because it distributes into the fat. Fentanyl is also, one of, some of the analgesics like fentanyl are fat soluble. So they stay in the body longer. So if you give it, I always tell nurses, start with the lowest dose, especially if they've never had it before, um, and then you, they don't have a, enough of a reaction, so you give them some more of the meds, especially if it's ordered PRN, and it can um, reach toxic levels uh, much easier in an older adult. Um, some of those benzos, um, in geriatrics, we're very cautious about benzodiazepines because of, of how long they stay in the body. And often you can give those, and then the next day the patient, we can't get them up, they can't eat, um, they're um, too um, sedated. So it has to do with the fat solubility. Some of them are more fat soluble than other medications. Can you give us a reference of um, perhaps a reference that you know of where um, the Problem meds are kind of listed for us? Yes. Um, in geriatrics, we all look at the Beers list. And the Beers list was put together by a physician by the name of Mark Beers. And it is now uh, managed by the American Geriatric Society. About every three years, they update it. And it is a list of potentially inappropriate meds for older adults. And um, you can see which meds are we most worried about and why. It'll tell you it causes um, delirium or kidney um, injury, that kind of thing. 
Um, so we always refer to that list and, and try to monitor how many of these meds that we're worried about and have high potential for side effects is that older adult on. Yeah, that sounds like a really important reference. So thank you. Um, let's turn our conversation now to communicating effectively with older adults. In your practice, what are some of the things that you've learned about older adults, and what are they reluctant to discuss? Yes, I, you know, um, if you haven't worked with older adults a lot, may not be aware of some of the issues that can really impact your relationship with them and how much information you're getting. And um, it's not because they don't want to share, or a lot of times it may be because of hearing loss or memory loss. I would say those are the two things that um, older adults have really absorbed the stigma and some shame and fear associated with having those conditions. They can be very sensitized. Um, even They don't even discuss it with their families or caregivers. So what's the nurse to do? So I think it's important to be really aware of this and that this is impacting things. Um, I've often had families even tell me, I'll say, well, you know, your father is having trouble hearing. Has he ever had his hearing checked? And then the family will say, oh, I can't ask him about that. You'll have to ask him. So I think it's really important for nurses to realize that we are trusted. Older adults in general really trust nurses, and if you're comfortable in these conversations, you can help. But I think you just have to be aware if you're educating them and they give you that blank look. Sometimes I've watched other nurses educating an older adult, and I can see that they look, they're not absorbing the information. Mm. You may not know if it's hearing loss or memory loss. So that's where you have to be um, sensitive. One of the things I would suggest is um, when I see that is I would first check and see if it's their hearing, which means you need to move up closer to them, make sure your face is right in front of theirs. A lot of people with hearing loss, even if they're wearing hearing aids, sometimes they still don't hear real well, and they they lip read. So I make sure I'm up real close and that they can see my face. Um, and then I try again and see if they can hear it. Um, if they're still not absorbing the information, then I start to wonder if it's a cognitive issue. You know, I've heard sometimes joking in a, in a patient care area, joking about the inability to hear or, or not being able right. to remember. Is that common and is that helpful or harmful? And again, I think our own anxieties often come to play here um, about getting older, um, not being able to hear, losing our memories. So people joke about dementia and hearing loss. Um, oh, I'm getting old or whatever. I think that that's a problem. I understand it on one hand, um, the anxiety associated with it, um, having something wrong with you. But I think we have to get comfortable with talking about this um, and not making it a joke so older people will tell us. Mm. They'll say, I can't hear you or I don't understand what you said. Um, I, I think we're um, adding to the problem that way, especially since a lot, you know, older adults think if they have a memory loss, it's not treatable. And we have to keep in mind there are a lot of conditions that cause memory loss that aren't dementia. It may be related to a medication. It might be um, a thyroid problem, a vitamin deficiency. So you want them to get it assessed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there really is 
the need for the older adult to to open up to their provider or to their nurse about problems that they're having with hearing or memory loss. Yes. Um, that's probably the biggest thing I hear from people when they find out I'm a, in geriatrics. Older adults will say, can I talk to you? And usually they're worried about that. Either they can't hear or their um, the memory loss has a lot of stigma. So in your practice, have you noticed certain phrases that we use in healthcare settings that are confusing to older adults? Oh, yes. Um, and it's the same with younger people. If they've never been in a healthcare setting, it doesn't matter how old you are, we may not, they may not realize what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and we use these terms all the time, draw your labs, place an IV, turn you. We're going to go turn the patient. So what does that mean, you know, if you haven't been in healthcare? And then with an older adult, you add the fact they may not have heard you too well. One habit I see older adults that have hearing loss, which is a lot of them, is they've learned to hide it. So they'll, like, fill in the gaps, and they'll guess at what you said. Maybe Mm -hmm. they only heard the beginning of the sentence, and then they'll just add to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then if the nurse comes in and they say, oh, I'm going to um, start your IV, or I'm going to take your blood pressure, or whatever you're going to do, and they didn't hear it, and then you go to touch them, and then they have a bad reaction. They push the nurse away, or they withdraw, and they sometimes get labeled as being difficult when they may never have heard them in the first place. So So I think taking the time to make sure they hear you and they understand what you say, um, you have to slow down a bit to do that. And it, it really kind of goes back to developing that therapeutic relationship with your, with your patient. Now, are there any methods that nurses at the bedside can use to to help communicate with with older adults? Yes, there are things in place to help us. One of the things that um, a lot of the hospitals are doing now is that teach-back method. And that's the point of it is it make sure you do that assessment. Did they hear what they you said? Did they understand what you said? And that's true of any patient. And that's one thing I want to stress in geriatrics is that it's not just older people. Um, mm-hmm. Younger people who have hearing loss or are um, confused, um, there are patients who are younger who are vulnerable in the same ways. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people if we fix things for older adults, it fixes it for lots of people. And one of these things is this teach-back method, which helps us to slow down just a bit. It sounds like the teach-back method would be helpful in all care settings, both inpatient and outpatient settings. Yes. Uh, yes, I think so. I think it's very helpful. Okay. And that it really helps the patient participate in their care willingly, with consent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then they, if they're, they get a chance to ask questions to um, – I've seen that happen where – I've watched, one time I walked into a room and a provider was talking to a patient, and the patient had that blank look on their face, which I really recognize now. And they weren't saying anything. The provider was doing all the talking. And then as I was standing there, I was thinking, what's going on? And then I looked behind his shoulder, and there was a pocket talker hearing aid device sitting on his table. So I went and said, wait, wait, and hooked him up. So here's your pocket talker. And within a minute, he was talking to his provider, and they had a back-and-forth conversation. And he wouldn't have told them that he didn't hear him. And it goes back to that stigma. People really right. don't want to appear as less intelligent or 
with less understanding and they they hope that they'll catch up later or or yes. gain understanding later and and that's unfortunate exactly all right let's move our conversation on uh, to our title what i wish you knew about me so Suzanne, if you could speak for the older adult, what do you think he or she would want the nurse to know? Um, I think it's important for people to realize what older adults in general are facing with our attitudes towards their age. Um, There are a number of studies out there that indicate when they interview older adults that they'll tell you that they feel most stigmatized when they're accessing the healthcare system. When I first saw that, that kind of shocked me, and I was disturbed by that. Um, but they'll tell you that they feel that they're treated dismissively and impatiently most often when they're either at their doctor's office or they're in the hospital. Okay. And I, I, I think that's hard for us to hear because we're there for them. Um, but I think sometimes our attitudes about older adults um, leak into our... Um, care and so we need to be careful and understand that even if they have impairments in function or hearing or cognition, it's an old, it's it's an adult, and um, we need to um, make sure that we take the time to get to know them and not treat them as a child, even with these um, impairments. Suzanne, have you noticed sometimes that there are some uh, individuals who begin to talk almost like baby talk or or say beer or other things as though they're talking to someone who's much younger rather than an adult with a life and a family and friends. Exactly. And sometimes I think people don't even recognize when they're doing it. But I've had um, older adults, when I talk to them, complain about that. Uh, that They'll say, time to go to the bathroom, or they're calling them honey. Um, I think... um, because they need extra help, um, in our minds it connects with being a child, and we have to remember that that's not so. Um, and I think part of it is just being aware, and we don't know people, and taking the time to get to know them when they when you come in for treatment will help dispel a lot of this. Um, where do they come from? What have they done? Um, you see this a lot when they get confused. Um, for example, patients with delirium and they don't know where they're at. Um, Sometimes staff will get really afraid that they're going to fall or they're going to become upset, so they'll um, not get them up as much, stay in bed. Um, And I I think sometimes knowing something about that patient will help us remember that this is a a functioning adult and we need to get them back to their previous state of functioning. Um, It's not a child. So... um, there was one patient who got really confused. He didn't know where he was at. And because he was stayed in bed um, and everybody was afraid he was going to fall or leave, uh, leave the, the unit, and so they kept him in bed. And then when we were able to find out from the family that the day before he came in, he had played golf and it hit a hole in one. Oh, wow. So that was really impactful. Right. So do you think that that affected the way that the nurses and the other caregivers um, responded to this gentleman after that? Oh, yes. Um, after sharing that, it really encouraged them to get him up. And we were There was like a goal now. Goal was to get him back playing golf. Mm-hmm. And I just think when we see an older adult and they look older and they look frail, we associate that 
in our heads with someone who is not going to get better. And I think that's not always true. So I think it's really important um, to have that piece of information. It's true for any patient, though. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's any different. I agree. That gentleman with the hole-in-one, he is a great example. Um, it helps us to remember, you know, what it's like to be presenting with exacerbating symptoms. How can the nurse put his or her patient in that type of reference, frame of reference, that appreciates and respects the patient's abilities, achievements, autonomy, both past and present when they're providing care? I think, like I said, I think it's really important to have um, take the time to know something about them. I think hospitals now are focusing a lot on patient and family-centered care, and this is part of this. Um, and I, I think it helps, like I said, it's not just older adults. Um, any vulnerable patient who has trouble communicating, um, if the patient can't communicate, so you have to take the extra step to um, talk to the family or the caregiver or call the facility where they're at um, and help to set goals and expectations that are realistic for that patient um, and not assume what they can or cannot do. Um, so I, I think setting the tone at the very beginning, as soon as you see them, um, I think we all get really busy, and then we lose those moments um, mm. when we could have um, found something out that would have impacted their care. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, um, do nurses necessarily just really keep up with the advances in geriatric information or in the geriatric setting in the field of geriatrics? Um, I, you know, I worry a lot about this. We try really hard to um, keep the staff up to date on geriatrics in all the hospitals I've worked at. Um, but it's always it's a challenge because there isn't a geriatric department in most hospitals. There are people there who feel passionate about it, and we've kept up with it and um, learned, and, but there isn't a place for it to sit. So, um, and we all sometimes work in different departments. So I think it's a real challenge um, uh, to healthcare in general, and it's odd to me that there's these huge numbers of older adults coming yet we haven't developed the departments and facilities to make sure that um, the hospital and nurses and providers know all the advances in geriatrics. And you know, again, I think this is true for the outpatient setting and for patients who are receiving care in their own homes. Um, yes. be, being competent in, in caring for older adults, you know, extends across all care settings. And, and we will find, you know, in the years ahead, I'm sure, that, that there will be more and more care in the ambulatory setting um, in addition to the care that we expect in the hospitalized setting as well. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of data on the the expectations that um, home health will boom, which means nurses, nurses' aides, we're going to need more people who can um, do the, this care, infusions in their home. Um, and so under, and most patients in homes are older adults, but it's going to be all ages as we move forward, yes. Mm -hmm. So, Suzanne, our next discussion, I should mention to our listeners that you're coming back uh, at a 
another podcast on August 29th. And in that podcast, we're going to continue our discussion about providing care for older adults. And in that session, we're going to address dehydration, hypodermoclysis, techniques for vascular access and infusion therapy for this population. Uh, we are so thankful that you were here with us today for this INS podcast. You've really given us a lot to consider, and we do appreciate your clinical experience and expertise in the field of geriatric nursing. Thank you. Yeah. I would also remind our listeners that the INS offers a great reference entitled Policies and Procedures for Infusion Therapy of the Older Adult. This is the third edition which correlates with the INS Therapy Standards of Practice, which was published in 2016. If you're interested in learning more about that reference, you can find more information on the INS website at www.ins1.org. Um, and Suzanne, we'll talk to you in a few weeks and carry on our discussion and dig into some deeper clinical aspects for infusion nurses who care for older adults. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>